Welcome to the Compliance Perspectives Podcast. I'm Adam Turtletow from the Society of Corporate Compliance and Ethics and Healthcare Compliance Association. Joining us today from New York are Randy Siegel, partner, and Jared Augenstein, managing director at Manat Phelps and Phillips. And today we're going to be talking about changes uh, in the CMS 2024 Medicare Physician Fee Schedule. First, Randy, Jared, thanks for joining us. Jared, why don't we start with you? There were several changes related to telehealth that came out during the pandemic. And where are we now in terms of extending things or not? Thanks so much for having us, Adam. Happy to dive right into that. Um, so I'll first start by summarizing. There were, there were about 10 different changes uh, that were finalized as part of this year's physician fee schedule that will extend temporary flexibilities that were implemented during the public health emergency. Number one is that in-person visit requirements for mental health services are gonna to continue to be um, uh, not required through the end of 2024. There are have traditionally been very restrictive rules around the originating site and geographic restrictions for delivering telehealth services. Those flexibilities will continue to be in place through, the, through 2024 so that telehealth can be delivered anywhere in the U.S. where the beneficiary is located at the time of the telehealth service. Third is that Medicare will continue to allow for a broader variety of types of providers to deliver telehealth services, including qualified occupational therapists, qualified physical therapists, speech-language pathologists, and audiologists. And in addition, CMS finalized adding marriage and family therapists and mental health counselors to the list of eligible providers for the first time. Fourth is that CMS will continue coverage of certain audio-only services on the list. Uh, fifth is that CMS will remove frequency limitations for certain subsequent inpatient visits, subsequent nursing facility visits, and critical care consultation services. Sixth is that CMS is going to continue to allow on a temporary basis for direct supervision and to permit the presence of immediate availability of the supervising practitioner through real-time audio and visual interactive communication. Um, direct supervision could only be met through immediate in-person availability. And interestingly, CMS is seeking comment on whether to extend this flexibility further. Seventh is related to telehealth and teaching settings, which will allow um, to allow teaching physicians to have a virtual presence in all teaching settings, but only in clinical instances where the service is furnished virtually. Eighth is that outpatient therapy, diabetes self-management training, and medical nutritional therapy will allow it to be provided on a, on a temporary basis via telehealth. Ninth is that in terms of telehealth for opioid treatment providers, uh, providers will be allowed to uh, deliver periodic assessments via audio-only communication when video is not available. And finally, there was some additional flexibility provided on a requirement to provide the home address for, for practitioners. All of those flexibilities that I just described are in place through 2024 um, and will sunset at the end of 2024. So one of the big things that we're kind of looking towards in the next physician fee schedule, and also from a legislative perspective, since some of these restrictions are statutory, is which flexibilities will be continued in 2025 um, and which will be sunset. That will be interesting to watch. Now, in, in addition to sort of these extensions and variations on things that were created before, is there anything new, new that people should be aware about? 
Yes, great question. So there's a, there's four new things that I would draw folks' attention to. The first is that there are changes in the actual structure of the Medicare telehealth services list. Prior to the COVID-19 public health emergency, CMS evaluated changes to this Medicare telehealth services list, which I'll just call it the list, through an annual rulemaking process. And through this process, CMS considered whether a service met one of two criteria for permanent inclusion on the list. Category one services are similar to professional consultations, office visits, and office psychiatry visits that are currently on the list. And category two services are, similar, are services that are dissimilar to those on the list. And CMS uses two criteria in evaluating those category two services. The first is whether the service is accurately described by the corresponding code when it's delivered via telehealth. And the second, is when delivered via telehealth, it produces demonstrated clinical benefit to the patient. During the public health emergency, CMS temporarily created a third category, category three, which allowed for short-term temporary coverage while further evidence was being developed and the services were considered for permanent coverage. This whole concept of category one, two, and on a temporary basis, category three services was getting confusing. And so, CMS finalized a proposal in order to just go to two lists, a permanent list and a provisional list beginning next, next year, which we hope sort of significantly simplifies things for provider organizations. The second is that there were some additions considered to the telehealth services list. Um, this year, CMS finalized the proposal to add a series of health and well-being coaching services to the list on a temporary basis for 2024. And in addition, CMS is finalizing on a permanent basis to add coverage for a new HCPCS code, um, which would allow for evidence-based social determinants of health risk screening. And I'll, I'll let Randy kind of discuss the detail on, on that service in a moment. The third change are changes to the payment by place of service for Medicare telehealth services. So there were some changes implemented over the past few years in terms of uh, which place of service code to utilize when delivering telehealth services. Starting this year in 2023, CMS had required that telehealth claims be billed with one of two place of service indicators. The first place of service O2 for telehealth provided anywhere other than the patient's home. And traditionally that's referring to office-based setting for provider to provider-based telehealth or place of service 10, which is telehealth provided in the patient's home. In this year's physician fee schedule, CMS finalized that claims that are billed with the place of service O2 will be paid at the facility rate, which is a lower rate, and claims billed with place of service 10 will be paid at the non-facility rate, which is typically a higher rate. And so that's kind of a, a, key, a key change that um, provider organizations should be aware of. And then the final change relates to remote physiologic and therapeutic monitoring, uh, often colloquially referred to as RPM or RTM. Um, these services on their own uh, are not standalone billable visits for federally qualified health centers, FQHCs or rural health centers, RHCs. CMS is uh, finalizing that starting next year, the services will be separately payable to RHCs and FQHCs using a new T-code. In addition, CMS is finalizing for RTM, remote therapeutic monitoring services specifically, um, they'll be allowed to be provided under general rather than direct supervision when provided by occupational therapists and physical therapists. Randy, let's turn to enrollment and on the flip side, revocation. What do compliance teams need to know and do based on the changes? 
Sure. So, I mean, at a big picture level, CMS is trying to make it easier for them to take action to revoke enrollment. Um, as you know, CMS has already had the right to revoke enrollment um, for noncompliance, but they have expanded their authority to do so under these proposed regulations. Um, probably the biggest change is that they can revoke enrollment um, if a provider or supplier is not in compliance with enrollment requirements set forth by CMS or OIG, either in regulation or an enrollment application. So that gives them pretty broad authority uh, to revoke enrollment. Um, in addition, this in some ways this isn't a huge change because CMS has already had the right to deactivate providers and suppliers for this type of um, non-compliance. But the right to revoke is just another tool in CMS's uh, toolbox because if they actually revoke enrollment for serious non-compliance, then CMS can actually impose a re-enrollment bar for a year to 10 years. So it kind of keeps bad actors out of the program for longer. I think in some ways though, the bigger news is what CMS decided not to adopt. And CMS could have, as they proposed in the rule, but decided not to revoke Medicare enrollment based on misdemeanor convictions, which would have further expanded CMS's authority to revoke enrollment. And they also did, decided not to adopt their right to revoke Medicare enrollment um, for a pattern or practice of non-compliance. Um, it was believed by commentators that this proposed definition of pattern or practice for non-compliance was too low, um, and it was possible that CMS could arbitrarily apply it as a result. Um, the other quick thing I would note is that CMS finalized a proposed um, new enrollment status called a stay of enrollment, um, and this allows them to essentially pause enrollment by a provider or supplier and allow them the opportunity to fix their non-compliant conduct. Um, in that instance, the provider would not be paid for the period of time in which their enrollment was paid, but once they fix it, they would be, um, the stay would be lifted and they would continue with their normal enrollment under Medicare. And this is really to address like technical non-compliance, like a provider forgot to update their enrollment to reflect they opened a new location or closed the location. Now, there's a new opportunity, Randy, for payments for social needs of Medicare beneficiaries. Um, obviously, there'll be compliance considerations there. What are they? So I think the biggest compliance considerations are similar to compliance considerations as it relates to providing chronic care management or transitional care management. Um, it's very important to those who are billing these codes is to carefully review the proposed rules for all of the requirements. In order to build these codes, for instance, there must be an initiating visit um, by a billable provider. So that generally means a physician or advanced care practitioner and usually requires there to be an evaluation and management visit of, uh, that addresses some complex condition. Um, I think a, a lot of providers get tripped up in not meeting the requirement for the initiating visit making sure that it's the right type of provider providing the service and the initiating visit, whether it's an evaluation and management visit or um, the annual wellness visit actually meets the requirements to make that visit billable. 
Secondly, is to build these codes, a lot of them can be provided under incident two, which means um, auxiliary staff can provide the services on a monthly basis, provided that they're, they're under the general supervision of the billing practitioner. Another area where providers get tripped up is that they don't fully understand the requirements to meet incident two billing. And so again, um, it's really important that incident two billing requirements are sort of monitored by the compliance officer when billing these codes to make sure that all of the requirements are met. And the third area that will be important is having, you know, like any other service, comprehensive documentation of the different services that are being provided and how the auxiliary staff is sort of advancing the plan of care in order to deliver these services and also demonstrating that the billable provider is managing and you know providing general supervision over the services through through documentation as well definitely a lot there um so any last thoughts on compliance implications based on the 2024 rules uh jared when we go back to you Sure. I, I think really briefly, you know, most compliance professionals should be thinking about how these changes impact telehealth programs, how telehealth programs are operationalized within their organizations. And there continues to just be a tremendous amount of change, a lot of which is temporary and so sort of hard to follow and requires a deep understanding of the changes. And also really uh, critically important is communicating these changes throughout the organization in order to effectively manage risk. Randy, any last thoughts? Yeah, I think I would just underscore what I said with regard to the new codes is that um, as any new code is added, CMS will be in, you know, increasing their oversight over those codes to see if there is a massive growth in use of those codes. And we'll be looking at documentation to support the medical necessity of, of the services, both in telehealth where we're seeing already increased oversight but also with these new uh, social determinant codes, um, I think that there will be over the next few years, um, you know, oversight by CMS and potentially OIG to make sure those codes are being built and utilized properly. Well, Jared, Randy, thank you both for sharing these insights with us today in the 2024 Medicare Physician Fee Schedule. I want to thank all of you for taking the time to listen. I'm Adam Turtletaub from SCCE and HCCA. I hope we're able to expand your compliance perspective.